Hi, you're listening to another message from Sunny Hill Church. Our prayer is that these messages encourage, empower, edify, and equip you to live for Christ in 2023. Be blessed as you listen in. Hey, my name's Dom, and um, I have the privilege, along with my wife and a great team, of leading Sunny Hill Church. And this is a moment, if you're not used to going to church, this is a moment where we gather around God's Word, uh, because we believe that God's Word is faultless. We believe that it is God's Word to us, and in the Word of God, we discover who He is, we discover who we are, and we can even discover the plans and purposes that God has for us as His people. And so we don't see the, the, the book of God like some dusty old reference religious book that is just like, oh, you better be good, you better do better but rather it's a life-giving tool that God has given us. It's his very word given to us that actually reveals who Christ is. And as we kind of become aware of that, we become better aware of who we are without Christ and our utter need for Christ. And so over the last few weeks, we have been journeying through the book of Acts. And Acts is a book in the New Testament written by a guy called Luke. He was a doctor. He was a physician, so we call him Dr. Luke. And it's a very thorough, documented um, unpacking of everything that happened post Jesus' resurrection and ascension. So the Gospels that open the New Testament are really the, the, the testimony of Jesus. Really, what did Jesus say? What did Jesus do? And then at the end of the Gospels, we know that Jesus went to the cross. And we spent a few moments this morning reflecting on that moment beautifully in communion. And then after he died on the cross, he did not stay dead. Uh, because God, it was God's will to raise him from death because he was without sin. And so Jesus rose again, conquering death, conquering the grave. And he said a few things to the church, or said a few things to his disciples, and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And really that's where the book of Acts picks up. And through the book of Acts, we see the formation and the unfolding events that surround the early church, like the very first church, like Sunny Hill 2,000 years ago. It's kind of like a fly-on-the-wall kind of viewpoint where we can go, wow, what was said? What was done? How did the Holy Spirit move? What did they do? How did they reach people? What did God say to them? And uh, we've been journeying through this for a few weeks, and this is the last one we're doing today for a little while because obviously, as you know, I'm married to Mrs. Mrs. I was going to say Mrs. Father Christmas, which would be really weird, wouldn't it? <laughs> married to Mrs. Christmas, which means that now we're coming into Christmas season and we're going to be doing something slightly different over the next couple of weeks. We've got Josh Goldenberg preaching next week, which is going to be amazing. Really looking forward to that. Um, and he's going to be kicking off our December season. But this one's going to kind of bookend the first part of Acts for us. And we are in Acts chapter 10. Um, and I've called this message, this is for everyone. This is for everyone. Maybe you've come today at the invitation of a friend or a loved one, and you're thinking, I don't really know what I'm doing here, and I don't really know what I make of it, and all of these people seem like weirdos. Well, you'd be totally right. <laughs> you know, I often think that, you know. I often think, man, this church is full of weirdos, and I think I might be the weirdest here. Um, and maybe you're thinking, like, it seems good for them, you know, this what we call the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and hopefully we'll see why it's good news in a moment. Uh, but this good news, the reason we're celebrating Jesus so much seems good to them. Well, let me tell you, it can be good for you too. There is nothing you have done that kind of puts you outside of God's heart. There is nothing that you have said, no way you've behaved, even if you've been an atheist your whole life or maybe an agnostic. Whatever, whatever condition you have come to church to today, 
you are most welcome. And not just by us, but by the presence of God. God wants to know you. God wants to encounter you. And so as we sing these songs of worship and as we just profess the goodness of God, God wants you to know his goodness too. Because this is for everyone. This last week, I went to Northern Ireland. Um, beautiful, beautiful place. Um, been there once before, but last time I only just landed on a plane, went to a meeting, then got, got, got back on a plane and came back to England. Whereas this time I spent a bit of time there, but I've kind of shared before some of my, my human nature, the way that I'm, I'm kind of wired. Good to see you, Philippa. Um, the way that we're kind of, sorry about that. It's like, ah, oh, Philippa, good to see you. Um, the way that we're kind of wired is uh, different. So some people are chronos in t- when it comes to time. In other words, time is exact and specific. And I've shared this before. I'm a kairos person, which means that time is a whole lot more blurry. Um, and so even at the start of the running order of church, church is supposed to be at 10.30, but actually there's a spot there which just says Dom's one minute. So it doesn't start till 10.31. Now, I'm not telling you to be a minute late to church, okay? I just feel like 10.31 feels more like a start time than 10.30. And I don't know why, but that's just my personality and my nature. And, and most of the time, I get away with it because you guys are very forgiving. My wife is very gracious, although it does cause her to pull her hair out at times. Me and Caleb have often had robust conversations because he would get frustrated because he hates being late. He's like his mom. Like, he's one of those weird people that would rather be early than late. And, um, you know, honestly, it's wild. Um, and, you know, <laughs> this, this week, uh, I was catching a plane to Northern Ireland, and it would seem that, like, the plane industry is Kronos. it would seem that they haven't developed that part of their personality and condition yet to actually be a bit more relaxed with time. And so I was flying out of Bristol and I was taking my time and I knew what time I wanted to leave, but I thought that gives me an hour margin, really. And obviously, what I didn't factor was the fact that some significant roads would be closed and that there would be multiple diversions. Um, So I'm driving and I'm thinking, oh, this is not good. I'm looking at my ETA on Apple Maps and I'm going, this this could be a bad day. This could be a bad day. I might just miss my flight. And so I'm, I pull into the parking lot at the airport, and I've still got a bit of time. Um, but I want a parking place as near to the terminal as possible. <laughs> okay, so I'm spending ages going around ground floor one, thinking someone's going to pull out eventually, because typically, God's grace and mercy just follows me. <laughs> and, it, you know, often my family have this thing where I, I pull into a parking, parking um, car park, a parking lot, I nearly said, uh, a, a a car park, and, uh, 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 and literally as soon as my car comes in, one, two, three cars will come out of their spaces because God has ordained it that I should have a good space, okay? But it just seemed like maybe God was teaching me a lesson on Monday, okay? Because I was driving around and no one was coming out. And so I go to the second floor and I'm spending far too much time thinking there's got to be a space near the lift uh, terminal. And there was nothing. In the end, I settled for a, a parking space at the back of level three. And I'm like... God, where are you? No, I'm joking. I wasn't like that. Um, But certainly, I was like, I was definitely chasing my tail at this point. And I get into my security line, you know, the the, the queue where you have to go and get your bags through that conveyor belt system. And I don't know why. It wasn't so busy, but yet there was about 25 miles of this snaking queue line. Do, Do you know what I mean? And I'm thinking, there's nobody here. Like, I'm walking around like this. And then, like, literally, a foot to the right, and then back. Like, you know, remember the old snake game on the Nokia phone, right? I literally feel like this. And then, all of a sudden, like, I'm thinking, no one's here. I'm just going to go under 
under the barrier. <laughs> Never do that at an airport, ever. Apparently, they're really anal about that, okay? I, I go under it, and then all of a sudden, on the tannoy speakers, I don't know who's watching, but it's something like, do not, I repeat, do not. I don't know why he's holding his nose. But go under the barriers. They are there for your protection and to ease the flow of congestion. And I'm like, there is no congestion. Does this person not know I'm a son of the Almighty? So I, I say to the woman, I'm saying, listen, my, I think my flight's going to be taking off really soon. And she says, well, you should have been here earlier. It was brutal. I said, what's your name? What department are you a part of? I'm complaining. I didn't. But as I'm, I get eventually, after about 15 minutes, procession around this little airport. I joined the back of a queue of about 15 people. And on the system, it says, this is the final call for the EasyJet flight going to Bristol. And I'm looking at the code on my ticket. And I'm hearing it. I'm like, oh, pants. This may be one of those times where my Kairos approach to life is really going to bite me on the bum. I know the next flight isn't till much later tonight. I'm going to be stuck here in this airport all day. I'm going to have to spend more money on this flight. And so I say to a person, I'm like, listen, that's my final call. And they say, yeah, you should have got here earlier. <laughs> By the grace of God, they somehow sped me through the system. And then I'm literally with my bags. I've got two bags, one on wheels and one on my back. And I'm holding quite a big fat raincoat. And I'm sprinting through the terminal. Sprinting. And I go to the screen and I look at the screen. And it's not gate one and two I've got to get to, but gate number 31. <laughs> I'm, I'm literally, why are airports so stupid? Like, and this airport, it's only Bristol Airport. I reckon about 48 people leave it every day. Do we need 31? Is it one per person? What's the deal here? And I'm looking, I'm going, oh my gosh. And I say to a person, how far? And she said, it's about uh, 1.5 kilometers that way. So I'm like, oh my gosh. So I'm just praying, I'm praying in tongues. And I'm like saying, Lord, please, just on this one occasion, can you hold this flight up, please? Please just help me out. I, I, I promise I'll do better next time, Lord. Please, please, please. And then I remembered about Sophie's preach a couple of weeks about where she spoke about fifth gear faith. And I thought, maybe I've got fifth gear faith. You know, because one of her examples was getting to a, an airport, lastminute.com, and I was like, I've got fifth gear faith. Like, I am late because I'm so godly. <laughs> no, I don't think it played out in that moment. But it was amazing because I run across this terminal, get into gate number 31, and all of a sudden the woman just says, literally two seconds later, you would have missed it, and she put the bar down. I was just thinking about that. I was just thinking about even, like, society now. We see a number of parables, like the, the, the virgins and the lamps. We see the moments with the worker and their wages. This idea that actually we are living in the last days. We're living in a time, and we can see it more and more as we watch the news, devastating things unfolding across the world, like wars, earthquakes, significant moments that speak to the, the end of days that we are living in. I just got this sense prophetically, and I'm not saying that it gave reason for me being late. I was just late. I was stupid, okay? But just this idea, what if we are living the final call moments? What if we are living in such a time where the Lord is saying, you know, the end is near, almost. And actually sometimes in life, maybe we kind of be apathetic and lethargic and just relaxing through life. But actually there's a time and an urgency in this day that the church needs to respond to, understanding that actually we know that Jesus will return for his church. 
we know that Jesus is coming back. And we know that those outside of relationship with Jesus will go to hell. And those who are in relationship with Jesus will go to heaven and be with him forever. In one place there is gnashing of teeth, weeping and sadness and despair because hell is the void of God. God does not live in hell. Whereas in heaven and in this eternal reality that God is calling us to, the Bible is quite clear. There will be no more tears, no more sickness, no more pain, no more sin. And we will see Jesus as he truly is. There's these, if you like, these, these options and opportunities before us. And I was just coming through the airport that day. And I was just thinking, I need to live more like this, this sense of urgency. Now, I know that I have been forgiven, praise God. I know that I have called on the name of Jesus, and now I am walking forgiven. You know, because, let me just say this, in the same way that Jesus didn't come to make bad people good, good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. So there's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus. It's through Jesus, God's one and only Son. So there is no way of circumventing the process. Actually, what we must do is call on the name of the Lord. That's what the Bible says. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And so to that end, I know that as I'm living in these times and as I'm watching the despair and the trauma playing out in the world, of course my heart moves because I am sad for the people experiencing pain like this. But also in my heart, there's a sense of hope because I know this is not all there is to come. I know there is a day coming where sickness will go, where tears will go, where wars will cease. That is the hope that exists within my spirit. And so as I navigate these days, I do not live under the cloud of despair. I actually live over the circumstances with a posture of joy. I, I, I love this saying that actually, if you don't know Jesus this morning, right now, right here, in Dorset, on whatever day it is, Sunday something in November. If you don't know Jesus, this is the nearest thing to heaven you will ever experience. Right now. Even the world in its chaos. This is the nearest thing to heaven that you will experience. But listen, for the majority of you this morning who do know Jesus as your saviour, right here, right now, this is the nearest thing to hell you will ever experience experience. Now, let me, just, let me just put some parameters about that, because I just don't believe that Jesus is just a cosmic get-out-of-jail-free card. I, I just don't believe that Jesus only came so that we could go to heaven. That is one of the most significant benefits of being in relationship with Jesus. But let me tell you this, Jesus wants to transform your life now. It, it's not like pie in the sky when you die. It's not like waiting for this glorious moment for, for God to right every wrong, although there is a measure of that. But actually, Jesus wants to walk with you now, even in the difficulty, even in the shadows, even in the hardship, even in the heartache. This salvation that is available to us isn't just about going to heaven. It's actually about bringing heaven to earth now. That's the assignment of the church. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's good news. It's great news. And on that basis, we look at this. This is for everyone. We're going to see how this plays out. Before we do, Genesis 12, 1 to 3. This is the origin of the people of God in the Old Testament. Okay, And this is 
what we read. This is the Lord speaking to Abram. Abram who will become Abraham. Listen to what the Lord says to Abram. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you. Notice how Abraham did not get the postcode before he had to be obedient. Notice how Abraham didn't get a download of all the answers that maybe he would have. Abraham was living a relatively cushy, comfortable experience living in his father's house with his father's provision, yet the Lord shows up and breaks into his life, as Jake said last week, brings disruption into Abraham's life and says, go to the land, I will show you. In other words, you must leave, and as you leave your comfort, I'm going to show you what I'm going to do with your life. So often, maybe it's just me, I want all the answers before I leave. But more often than not, God rewards that step of faith. God, I hear you saying there is a land that you're going to show me, but I know I've got to leave. Listen to the prophetic word that God gives to Abraham. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Now this bit's really important and very pertinent for the hour in which we live with all of the controversy around um, Gaza and Israel right now. Listen, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. This is the inception story of the Jews. Abraham is the father of faith. God wanted to establish a people he would call his own, those that we know as Israel. And the way he was going to do it, he was going to make a nation through this man called Abraham. A guy, no less, who was relatively old, And his wife was relatively old. And the Bible says she was barren. She was without children. And so there's so much miraculous need in this story that Abraham, you know, on paper, could have been quite entitled to say, I don't think so, Lord. But Abraham goes, and we know he becomes Abraham. And we know that God does give uh, Sarah a baby. And we know that God does bring into existence his people called Israel through the line of Abraham, the descendants of Abraham. And essentially the Old Testament, now when I say Old Testament, the Bible is really split into two. We've got the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is the bit that happened before Jesus, and the New Testament is the bit that happened Jesus onwards, okay? And as we read the Old Testament, what we see is that it is an account of the Jews getting to the promised land. That's really what the Old Testament is about. We see the journey to their land. We see the law that was given through Moses. We see their kings and their prophets. The Jews are really the centerpiece of the Old Testament. More often than not, the Jews would be at war with the Philistines and Gentiles and descendants of Anak and multiple tribes who were outside of Israel who would war against Israel. For some reason, there has been an anti-Semitic spirit from the very dawn of their inception. A desire to wipe Israel off the face of the map, and we know that that is still the case now. But nevertheless, in the Old Testament, we see God's hand of covering and protection and journeying them 
into their promised land. So stacks of Old Testament scriptures speak to this. Here's one, look. This is Deuteronomy 7 verse 6. This is God speaking. You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people. His treasured possession. Israel holds a very dear place in the heart of God. That's why we must pray for Israel. And not be so quick to believe all of the propaganda that we see in the news. Because we don't have to look back through history that long, 70 years, to see the last time that the critical masses bought into a lie. I'm talking about the Holocaust in World War II. That spirit's still at work. And as the church, we must not see Israel as our enemy, but actually our forerunners, because Christianity came through the Jews. In fact, Jesus, we read, will come through the Jews. We read this in Isaiah uh, 11, verse 1 to 3. As it say, it says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. This is David's dad. David, who uh, Jake spoke about last week, David who fought Goliath says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And it's this messianic promise. It's going to come through the Davidic line that Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. And our faith came for the Jews. Now, this is a significant thing that I just need us to get our head around because it helps me kind of explain what we're looking at in Acts today. Because right now you're thinking, how does this relate to Acts 10? Well, you're going to see. All of the Old Testament is really obsessed with the journey of the Jews. So Jews were born, and even though they were facing strife and oppression from multiple empires, like the Egyptian Empire and the Persian Empire, and places like this, they knew that they were really the centerpiece of God's story. Now, what's kind of interesting is we see something shift. Jesus, when he came from the line of David, a Jew himself, raised with Jewish customs actually goes and speaks with non-Jews. Like I'm even thinking about in John 4, the woman at the well, the Samaritan, the, the people who the Jews could never mix with. Jesus went and mixed with her. And this all culminates in Matthew 28, where we see the commission given. Jesus says to the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of where? All nations. All nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Like Jesus is telling the church, your job is to go further than Jerusalem. Your job is to go further than the Jews because this good news is for everyone. Even though two-thirds of the scripture is all about the Jewish journey, Jesus is saying this news has got to get to the ends of the earth. In fact, in Acts 1, we read this. Jesus speaking to his disciples just before he ascends to the right hand of the Father. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, what's the power for? Well, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Think of it like this, like a concentric circle. At the heart of it, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to where? The ends of the earth. The Spirit comes and there's this suggestion, listen to me if you can, a suggestion that we are coming into a new day. A suggestion where a relationship with God 
opens right up, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles also. Grace and favor and blessing to be extended to all of mankind, not just the Jews. And indeed, we actually see the full picture of this revelation play out. Look at what Paul says much later in the New Testament. So we're doing a bit of gymnastics this morning. Much later in the New Testament, we read this. Galatians 3 verse 26, he says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Listen to this. Listen to this. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. Neither slave nor free. Nor is there male and female For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if this was not radical enough, listen to what Paul says in verse 29. If you belong to Christ, then you are whose seed? Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise. Now a few weeks ago, I spoke about Paul's conversion. And I said how dramatic it was because he was the Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a smash-it-out-the-park Jew. He was a legend in his own right. He was of good stock. And yet here he is much later, much, much later in church history, one of the latter letters written, saying that, listen, there is now no divide. Now, don't mishear me. I do believe that Jews still have a key role in the end times, okay? But ultimately, there's only one way to the Father. There's only one gate, there's only one door, and he has a name, and his name is, well done. That whether you're Jewish or Gentile, you come through Jesus. Whether you're male or female, you come through Jesus. Whether you are a slave or whether you are a master, you come through Jesus. Whether you are a prisoner or whether you are free, you come through Jesus. Jesus is the access point. So, what have we established? We've established that the Old Testament is preoccupied with the journey and story of the Jews. And then we read that Jesus kind of sends a curveball and says, you've got to take this message to all nations and get it beyond the Jews. You've got to get it to the uttermost parts of the earth. Like, you've got to get it out there. And then much later in church history, we read Paul's revelation about the fact that if people come to Christ, then they are, by extension, Abraham's seed. Well, the bit we're going to read in Acts 10 right now is what happened between those moments. What happened? How did this happen? So we pick up in Acts chapter 10. We read verse 1. We read at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. For those of you who are pregnant, waiting for a child, that's a great name. Cornelius. Might get called Corny, but that's okay. We can work with that. Corny Cornelius. A centurion. So what are we establishing He's Roman. He's a Gentile. He's a non-Jew. And he worked in what was known as the Italian Regiment. So he worked for the Roman Empire. So there are many moments in these just two verses that we can see this is a person who is outside, surely, of the purposes of God. Yet we read in verse 2, he and all his family were devout. The word for devout there is religious. 
And he was God-fearing. And he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Like Cornelius was doing better than some of you. Doing better than me sometimes. He was devout. He always feared God. He always gave generously. And he prayed regularly. Yet, he was a Gentile. So you could call him a proselyte, if you like. He, was, he had adopted the Jewish faith as his own. But make no mistake about it, he was a good, good guy. People liked Cornelius. Now, because the, the passage of Scripture is so vast today, and I'm already running out of time, I'll rebuke that timer at the back. That cannot be accurate. Okay. We're going to jump to the end of chapter 10, and we're going to see what happens with this Cornelius. Peter is speaking to him in verse 43. Peter says, All the prophets testify about him, speaking of Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Now, let me just say, Cornelius is a good guy. He was devout, he was religious, he was generous, he prayed all the time, yet as Peter is sharing the gospel, he's saying, you need to receive forgiveness too. Because even though Cornelius was good, he was not good enough. Verse 43, all the prophets testify. So let's get this up here. All the prophets testify about him, speaking of Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit, listen to this, came on all who heard the message. As they're listening to the gospel, you know, the Holy Spirit comes into that moment and fills these Gentiles. Verse 45, listen to this. The circumcised believers, in other words, the Jews who had come with Peter, were astonished. And the word for astonished there means blown away. In fact, the accurate word is insane. Have a look in your concordance. Have a look at Strong's when you get home. The Jews are looking at this moment and going, this is insane. Because they're looking at this moment and they're going, didn't they know that this is only for Jews? It's always been about Jews. That the message and the good news is exclusively for a certain select few. And yet they're watching and it seems that the presence of God is coming and mixing it up in this room as Peter is sharing the gospel with non-Jews, and they are literally insane about it. That the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So we ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Unbelievable unfolding of events. And let me just say that, like, Cornelius received salvation. And this is important if you're new to the faith. Received salvation. And the next step for him was to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be baptized with water. I want to say to you today, like, if you know Jesus as your saviour, or maybe you want to call on his name even this morning, the next step is baptism. You can get baptised, and it's great because next Sunday we've got a baptismal service happening at Camford Church in the evening. We'll give some more notice about that at the end of this service. But there's a great opportunity. Don't delay. Don't wait. Get it done. Don't think you have to reach a measure of perfection before you get baptised. It's simply believe 
and be baptized. As soon as you put your belief in Jesus as your Savior, God forgives you of your sins. And now we make that a public declaration by baptizing you in water. And the picture of baptism is one of being um, crucified with Christ and raised to life with Christ in the water and out of the water. And there's a great opportunity for that next Sunday. So I really encourage you to to, um, get it done. But I'm really conscious of time and I'm nowhere near the end, but I am going to have to land this really, really quickly. Cornelius comes, Acts chapter 10, and we see this devout guy. Um, Matthew, can you get up and play keyboard, please? Uh, (laughs) You know, you know I need that just to get into landing mode, otherwise we'll be here longer than we should be. Um, That Cornelius is on the scene, a devout guy, a God-fearing guy, a generous guy, a prayerful guy, yet someone who needs Jesus desperately. God shows up to him in a vision, but at the same time, we know that Peter is on the roof of a house. And listen, I'm going to read it quickly, because Acts 11, verse 1 to 18, is Peter's uh, perspective of this whole situation. So let me read it to you. Feel free to shut your eyes if it helps, because looking at a wall of words is never inspiring. Um, But this is what Peter says about this moment that we've just seen. He says, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So this is the people after the Cornelius moment. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the Jews criticized him. Sorry, the Jews, those who were Jews who had become Christians criticized Peter and said, I can't believe you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Like you shouldn't be eating with Gentiles. We know that they are ceremonially unclean. They are not within the circle of salvation. And then verse 4, starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. This is how it plays out. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance, I saw a vision. So Peter is praying on a rooftop, right? And as he's praying, he has this daydream vision moment. And this is what the vision was. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, And it came down to where I was. I looked into it and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. So this is a problem because we know that in the Old Testament law, there were some animals, many animals, considered ceremonially unclean. I think it's in Leviticus 10 or 11. There are many animals considered unclean and you shouldn't kill them and you shouldn't eat them. Yet in this daydream, Peter's praying and this sheet is being lowered from heaven by the four corners and in his vision what he's seeing is loads of animals on this sheet that he should not kill, that he should not eat according to the law established by God in Leviticus. Yet the instruction of the Holy Spirit to Peter in this moment is get up, kill and eat. This is so at odds with Peter's upbringing. This is so at odds with Peter's paradigm. This is so at odds with Peter's history. Peter, his whole life, had been adhering to the strict code of Jewish diet. And right now in this moment, God is saying, every animal that you thought was off the menu is now back on the menu. Praise God. Praise God. I love meat. For me, I was crying when I read this passage. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know what life would be without bacon. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. We get Pentecostal in that moment. You know, you couldn't eat pigs in the Old Testament. I would have been a rubbish Jew. 
I've been needing to sacrifice every day because I don't know if I could stay good on that one. Yet in this moment, here we are, this Jewish boy, Peter, this apostle who had been raised specifically to reach the Jewish world, and then God gives him this vision and says, all those animals, get up, kill, and eat. It is so revolutionary to Peter that we read in verse 8, he says, surely not, Lord. This can't be right. He says, Lord, nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Look, God says to Peter, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. I love this. I love this because it's like the Gentiles couldn't save themselves. Humanity cannot save itself. And so it requires the initiative of God to say, I'm going to open up the floodgates of grace to mankind. I'm going to open up the doors of salvation to every man, woman and child. There is nobody off the menu. There is nobody who is too far gone, too far separate, too far from being a Jew. That actually this message of salvation is now for everyone. So get up, Peter, kill and eat. And what we actually read is that this happened three times and it was pulled back up to heaven again. Verse 11. Right then, three men who had been sent to me, this is Peter, from Caesarea, stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me and we entered the man's house. This is Cornelius, verse 13. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter, and he will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, this is Peter, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning, speaking to Pentecost. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 17. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Let me tell you this. You are here right now in relationship with Jesus right now because of this moment right then. Unless you are a Jew, a Messianic Jew, you've come to Christ, but you were raised as a Jew and you've got Jewish bloodline. If you're a Gentile like me, the reason I am here is because Peter responded to the Lord in obedience. Have you ever approached a person and thought they're too far gone? Have you ever approached a person and thought, no, they're too bad? Or maybe they're too religious. You see, bad people are easier to save. <laughs> You know, like, you go to a rebellious person who's rejecting God, it's kind of easy, they need saving because they're too bad. That's easy. But religious people like Cornelius are a bit harder because they have to be saved because they're too good. Because he was in this old mindset that thought, if I just do more, then surely will, God will grant his grace towards me. But make no mistake about it, whether you are good or bad this morning, rich or poor this morning, old or young this morning, we all need Jesus. And praise God that in his heart, he determined to put every animal back on the menu. It was the Lord's initiative. 
I think we've even sung it today, and I'm not one of those songs police that goes, oh, technically that's not right. But this whole idea of like, I found God. Don't be silly. God found you. You know, I reached out to God. Don't be silly. God reached out to you. You know, I think of the Luke 15 moment, which we're going to look at at the carol service. But we look at the lost sheep. Sheep are stupid. I don't know if you've ever seen it on YouTube shorts, a sheep that gets rescued out of like a crevice in a farm and then runs off and jumps in the same hole again. Sheep can't save themselves. It takes the good shepherd to leave the religious and go after the one. Think about the lost coin. A woman has ten coins, she loses one. A coin isn't clever. A coin can't shimmy into the spotlight. Look at me, I'm here. Just work with it. You know, a coin can't slither out from under a, a, a unit and go, it found me. No, the woman has to turn the house upside down. The furniture has to be moved. The initiative is with the woman from which the coin had strayed. Same as with us. And it's good news because this is the grace of God. And I love it because I think sometimes we, we drop back into a religious mindset that just goes, if I just do a little better, God will love me a little bit more. And that's so at odds with the good news of Jesus. Because the good news of Jesus is not do, 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 do. The good news of Jesus is it's done. It's finished. Every debt outstanding. Every mistake made. Every mistake you'll make today. Every mistake you'll make tomorrow is covered in the shadow of the cross. That's the grace of God. That's why this is for everyone. It's not about who's a little bit better than someone else. It's about we could not save ourselves. In fact, while we're still sinners even, Christ died for us. Jesus took the initiative that we couldn't muster in ourselves and lay down his life whilst we were still flipping the bird at him and going, we're not interested. Even then, Jesus chose to come and die for us. This is for everyone. The instruction is get up, kill, eat. Get up, kill, eat. Maybe some of you are sleeping. Maybe some of you just sat in the terminal, just thinking, I've got, my, I've got my ticket, I've got my place, I'm good to go. Listen, if you know Jesus as your saviour, praise God. But now, your job in the kingdom is to take that good news and share it. It's to get up. Get up out of apathy. Get up out of sleep. Get up out of lethargy, indifference, whatever it may be. And going, actually, you know what? I've experienced the grace of God. Now I'm going to bring it to them. It's what Peter did, isn't it? Peter could have just said, oh, thank you, Lord, I'm saved. And even if he would have disobeyed and not gone to Cornelius' house, he still would have been saved. But praise God, Peter went in obedience and then it opened up the gospel to the whole Gentile world. So we've got to get up. The second thing is, we've got to kill. <laughs> and you're like, kill? What? This is radical. Well, hear me out. The word for kill there is sacrifice. Peter, 
you know, what's amazing about this in Acts chapter 10, it's so amazing that like, it's often billed as Cornelius' conversion. But let me tell you, it was Peter's conversion too. Peter was fully saved, but he wasn't fully surrendered. Peter had to kill some areas of himself to be effective. He had to kill some prejudices. He had to kill some traditions. I loved what Sophie brought a couple of weeks ago when she was talking about Philip ministering to the eunuch to get on the chariot. He had to, some of, something of him had to die so that the eunuch could find life. And actually for you to be effective, fully effective in sharing the gospel, you have to deny your flesh. You've got to pick up the cross daily. You've got to die to self. So it's about killing yourself. But in the best possible way, because let me tell you, when you deny yourself, you find true life. So you've got to kill. You've got to get up, kill, and then we've got to eat, which is my favorite part of this preach. Even the lights are going mental for it. <laughs> got to eat. In other words, enjoy. Enjoy the reward of your labor. There's nothing more precious than hearing the testimony of a person who has recently encountered Jesus. As Louise was saying at the Thanksgiving meal the other day, this time last year, Ruby wasn't with us, and now she's like evangelist Mark 1. She's going after it. She loves the Lord, and she's saying literally, I would not be sat here today if it wasn't for Jesus. And then she said, and I'm not taking any of the credit, but she said to the others who have been really involved in her life, and she says, if it wasn't for Jesus, and it wasn't for you. Eat. Eat. I love it in John 4, where the disciples come to Jesus, and say, Jesus, do you want some food? And he says, my, will is to do, my food is to do the will of my Father. That is where the satisfaction is. It's better than a Miller and Carter steak. It's better than fajitas from Chiquitos. I have no other posh restaurants in my head right now. It's, and I know you're going to say, that's not posh. Well, I'm from the Midlands. Chiquitos is like from another country. That's posh, man. I was raised on like shepherd's pie and stuff like that. So fajitas, that's like, ooh, alternative. Let's go. It's very cultured, eating fajitas here. Yes, I eat it like a roast dinner, but still, nevertheless, it counts. <laughs> Get up, kill, and eat.